Hey folks, Zach Ostrom here, IU Insider, Indianapolis Star. It is Monday, October 24th. He is IU Insider, Dustin Apirak, Bloomington Herald Times. This is Mind Your Banners. Um, Dustin, we're going to we're gonna turn the page. It's, it's the bye week. I think everybody's ready for it. We're going to do just the slightest little bit on, uh, on football, but we're not going to go crazy. Um, and then we're going to talk about basketball, but let's, let's just, let's wrap up ever so, ever so quickly, the Rutgers game, um, another game. And, and really, I think we're kind of in a, in a place here where it feels like Indiana stuck for two years in either not having a well-constructed enough offense or not having enough talent within that offense to adjust when it needs to. And an offense that just, it feels like withered as the game went on obviously started out so well against the Rutgers team that had not had scored 33 points, I think 33 or 34 points in its last three games and didn't score a ton in this game. And that's why you felt like if Indiana basically could have gotten maybe 10 more points from that 14, nothing start, they would have won the game just by default. Um, but they couldn't even muster that it's an offense that just, like I said, it just, it withers as games go on and it cannot fix itself. Yeah. I mean, it withered so fast is the thing. I mean, and, and, just what it comes down to is they're just good for one or two really good drives game. And then after that, it's a mess. Uh, you know, I, I think, um, you know, when, when it works, um, you know, they can be really sharp. And obviously that, that first drive was really slick, looked really good. And then after that, you just have this pile of three and outs. Um, and you really saw, I think just the, um, the, the other edge of the up-tempo sword with, I mean, I think there were four three and outs that they didn't have any yards like zero or fewer um, where they either had zero or negative yards in a drive um, and went three out three and out inside of a minute. Um, so, you know, that's, yeah, it, it just fell apart and it does not have any answers. When Cam Camper went out, they really didn't know what to do with themselves. Um, you know, Con- Connor Baselight just did not seem to have any kind of answers for what he wanted to do. Um, and I mean, there were, there were, you know, yeah, some of those possessions you blink and you miss, you know, it was, it was over that fast. And you were just like, just still processing the first play and the third play is over and they're punting. Um, so yeah, no, it, it's still just, it, it just, just hasn't come together. It's, you know, it's, it's scheme, it's talent, it's all of the above. And, uh, you know, again, they, they, they're capable of putting together one or two drives per game where they look like they really know what they're doing. And somehow the, the rest is, Pretty much shambles. Their drives on Saturday, they have the opening kickoff, which isn't recorded as a drive because they didn't run any offensive plays. Obviously, that goes for a touchdown. Their first offensive drive went 11 plays, 91 yards, time of possession, four minutes and 20 seconds. That was a touchdown. Their second drive went eight plays for 22 yards, time of possession, three minutes and 30 seconds. That ended in a punt uh, just inside Rutgers territory. After that, they had three of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, three of 11 drives the, the rest of the game, at least ended in, in Rutgers territory. Um, two of them were field goal attempts. One was missed, one was made. Um, their last 11 drives went three plays, six plays, three plays, three plays, three plays, three plays, five plays, two plays, three plays, eight plays. Um, you mentioned Camper there, and I think that's instructive. Listen, this can be a little bit reductive. Um, I'll admit that up front. A lot of times when offenses do what this offense has done, you hear a lot of fans screaming about adjustment. Um, 
we are both fond of, of the Kevin Wilsonism that your offense is what you can block. Your offense is also what your players are capable of. And the, the extent to which this offense has looked neutered when one or both of Cam Camper and DJ Matthews aren't full strength. Um, you know, the game that we did not go to the Nebraska game, the broadcaster said something about how Indiana doesn't have a lot of speed on offense. And the more I've seen these performances in these games, the more I come back to comments like that. And the more when I see, again, Cam Camper go out, DJ Matthews go out, and this, this offense just kind of fall apart, you really do wonder if, if it's there's an extent to which now I'm not attacking any one player. I want to be really clear. It's, it's not down to just this one guy or this one position or whatever, um, that there's just not enough talent there. That that ultimately, if if the offense is so fragile that one or two guys coming out of the lineup makes such a substantial difference, then it does feel like um, we're you know that that for all Walt Bell could have done better or whatever. There's a real personnel issue in here um, because I mean to your point. Indiana had, I think if I'm counting it rightly, 13 drives here. The last 11 drives, not one of them lasted more than a minute and 51 seconds. And I know some, or minute 59, excuse me. And I know some of that is, is by design with tempo. But Indiana's best drives this year have still gone three to four and a half minutes. Um, this one just can't sustain anything. And it does feel like it is so hyper-reliant on such a small group of playmakers that – you remove those those playmakers in any shape or form and the drive just or the, the offense just kind of collapses under its own weight. Yeah, I know exactly. I mean, they, there are once you get past Camper and Matthews, when, when you have Matthews at full strength and he's clearly not, you know, I mean, like he's made a couple plays, but you, you can tell that with the hamstring and what he's working back on, he's playing, but he's not at 100 percent he's not the explode like, you know, w- when he is sharp, he's explosive and he can beat you deep and he's not that right now. So you kind of weaken him like, and it's, and then after that, it's just a bunch of guys that are okay. You know I mean? Like I think Emory Simmons is okay. You know, and, and Emory Simmons might be slightly better than okay. You know, I mean, he, he can get you some out of that slot receiver position, make you some plays underneath. Isn't necessarily scorching you. And the outside guys after camper just aren't giving you that much. I mean, I think they're all okay. You know, Anderson Kobe's okay. Javon Swinton's okay. Malachi Holt Bennett, Donald McCulley can, do something for you every once in a while, but there's just not a lot of production. I mean, they're, they're not scorching their guys, basically, you know, like if, if you're manning up on them, they're not, if they're winning those matchups, they're not winning them by a lot. They're not creating, you know, big uh, catch radiuses, if you will, like where, where they have a lot of space in between the defender. Um, and, you know, like there, there's a big window for camp for Baselight to throw the ball. There's just, uh, you know, it, it just, all of the margins for error shrink because there just aren't too many playmakers. And, you know, you got a guy like Jalen Lucas that can, but, but he's five, nine, one seventy. you know, I, I think he was, I think he was the guy who committed the chop block. So that tells you about where he's at as far as, you know, pass protection is concerned. Um, and like so, with a freshman, I mean, he gave you, you can't yeah. expect too much. He gave you no, an explosive exactly. play. He gave you seven points Saturday. Like that's, yeah, I'm no, not you saying like, oh, he'd done his job, but like that's got to be a net positive. If if we right, can do exactly. this in a sort of baseball analytics style wins above replacement way, like mm-hmm. points above replacement. Yeah. You're, you're taking that from your true freshman. Totally. Yeah. You're taking that from your true freshman. But it's like, you know, again, Henderson and Shivers are okay. 
you know, I mean, I think Henderson may be slightly better, but just the sum of the parts just is not that great is what it comes down to. The sum of the parts just is not that great. And, you know, the hole with the scheme and everything else can be really good for a drive or two drives on an average week. Uh, but you're not just, you're just not seeing it be better than that because again, you, you just don't have players that are um, just making big time plays on a consistent basis. Um. We'll move on from football. It's the bye week, and, and I think it's just not something fans are, are super interested in right now. Um, Other than just being angry, but, you know. Yeah. Like, but even then, I think they're going to turn. We don't have great answers for you. I mean, $25 million buyout, you know, like. You, you yeah. Can you can well, get and listen, you want, but, my yeah. stock response to this, too, is I'm sorry. This place has to be patient. Like, you know, if, if you're IU and you've got a coach who's done something nobody's done in 30 years, you can't be reflexive and reactionary and, and fire quickly because the next coach needs to know he's going to get patience. This place has challenges. Like there's a reason neither IU nor Purdue has ever won 10 games in a single season. I'm almost certain that's true of Purdue. I know it's true of IU. Like just, I'm sorry. You know, the, 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 and I don't want to get into this too much today. I think we, I think there is a longer conversation to be had about IU football. Um, near the end of the season or maybe at the end of the season that I think we should do in more depth. Um, but there's also just, there really is an element. Like if, if you literally fired everybody tomorrow and started over, then your candidate pool would be based at least in part on the fact that coaches with some credibility on the resume would look at you and say that you had no patience with the guy that had done something nobody done in more than a generation. At a, at a program where it's incredibly difficult to win. And you just, you have to exit in the same way that you don't necessarily have to exercise that patience in basketball, that you can fire Archie Miller after four years, even acknowledging that in the third one, he basically made the NCAA tournament. You can fire him after four years because IU basketball is still going to be IU basketball. And there's still going to be a lot of agency to what you can do with it. IU football is the opposite. You have to be patient with somebody who has proven that they understand what it takes to win here even if it seems like they're drifting away from that. Again, that is a conversation I think we need to reserve for its own podcast at a later date. Um, yeah, that's true. I suspect uh, this is sneaking up on people. Indiana hosts an exhibition game Saturday afternoon at 3 p.m. against Marion. Uh, the, the, I guess, long-awaited, I suppose, um, if that's the, <laughs> the right word to use. I, I, I guess it's long-awaited for a long I mean, College off-seasons are long. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Marion's in town to play Mike Woodson's team on Saturday at 3 p.m. at Assembly Hall. It's one of two exhibitions. They're also going to play one next Thursday night against St. Francis. Um, if you're wondering why Indiana's playing exhibitions and not secret scrimmages, I suggest you look at all the games they aren't playing at Assembly Hall in the non-conference this season and figure out, yeah, figure out, uh, start doing the math on, on, you know, game day takes and things like that. But um, it's going to give people uh, an early look at this team. And I think, I think people are going to be fascinated. And I think it's, I think there's some value start here. I think there's some value in this team playing games in front of crowds. Um, for the older players, I think it's a reminder of what's going to be expected of them this season. And I don't think that's necessarily the most unhealthy thing. This is, this is a team full of guys that have never known this kind of expectation in Indiana or really anywhere in, in college. Um, I think there's some value in being reminded early, like, Hey, you know, 12,000 people showed up for an exhibition game. That's a big deal. 
Um, people are excited. It was loud in there when Trace Jackson Davis caught an alley-oop from, you know, Jalen Hood, Shafino or whatever. And then for younger players, I think it's a, it's good exposure. We always hear every year, oh, you'll see what it's like when it's, you know, when Assembly Hall is really live. Well, again, these freshmen are walking into a team with high expectations. I'm not sure it's the worst thing in the world to be exposing that to them early on, even if maybe in some ways you would get more out of the, the quote-unquote secret scrimmage set up somewhere else. Yeah, no, I agree. Like I said, there's there's value to it, and and especially because it's it's going to be like this. You know, there. I mean, as you mentioned, I, I think money is the driving force, um, and and money matters. You know, let's be serious. I mean, they they you know like whatever they're paying for Mike Woodson, whatever they're paying for assistance, uh, the fact that there's still, you know, like that, that there were, there was a significant budget deficit a few years ago because of COVID, um, you know, like Indiana could use some money uh, and it's not a bad idea to, to get it um, when there's a team that everybody is excited about, basically that, that everybody wants to see. And, you know, I mean, you got good draws um, for, you know, the, the previous two, you know, scrimmage events that you've had in assembly hall so far this season got pretty good draws. Uh, people want to see this team. They want to the see the target them. number. Just so people know, is is eighteen to nineteen home games in a year. You've got ten conference home games, but you're playing one, two, three, four of your eleven non-conference games away from home because people. I think people also forget they moved that Miami of Ohio game up to Indianapolis on November twentieth. Now I'm guessing Indiana's going to get some take from that, but it's probably not going to be as much unfiltered profit as they get from a home game at assembly hall on a Sunday afternoon. Um, so again, this, okay. Exhibitions probably don't draw as big as some regular season games, but this still, you know, puts more money back in that pot. Right. And, and, and obviously a lot here was done to sort of satisfy other things that people have been, you know, wanting, uh, you know, obviously a uh, major marquee game, you know, with, with Kansas. And, and if you're going to play Kansas, you have to play them home and home, you know, you, you can't have uh you know, just two home games against Kansas, they're not going to give you that. So you got to go on the road for one of those. And that's not a bad thing because obviously it gives you an opportunity to go play, um, you know, at, uh, at, at Fog Allen. Um, but, you know, that's still a home game you don't play. They wanted to stay in Indianapolis and play, and, and play a game there so that you still have a presence there, even with the Crossroads Classic going away. So they're kind of backfilling that to have, you know, some indie presence. Obviously, Mike Woodson's an indie guy um, and, and they don't want to take IU's presence away um, from Indy entirely. They want there to be at least one game a year where you can, you can, you know, stay in, in, in the city of Indianapolis and, uh, you know, go see them play. And so, um, that's, there's some backfill there. So it's like, in order to get that, that's what you need is an exhibit is exhibition games to, you know, ultimately fill in, uh, for the revenue that you're lost by, you know, having those games elsewhere, basically, and go playing a, a, a neutral site game against, uh, Arizona and Vegas. I mean, if you want those big time matchups at neutral sites or on the road, um, you know, if, if you still, you know, need this and, and, you know, again, Indiana needs to profit heavily off of its men's basketball program. It's really, really important more more that more at IU than for most other places for obvious reasons, some of which we've already discussed, uh, you know, they got to have some of these, but like you said, it's a, it's a big sell. Um, you know, I, I like for this team, because it's good, it's a big sell. I suppose too, there's some vouch for getting your fans in the building. You know, I mean, it, it, none of these students have known a season like this either. I mean, the last Indiana season that was anticipated at remotely this level would have been 2017. Um, that was six years ago. So, uh, you know, unless you are on the, you know, hyper varsity plan or you are 
uh, a law student, you've you've never seen a, a basketball season as a student, for example, um, with this much with this much excitement. You know, just in terms of, um, yeah, I mean, I just I think there's I think there's some value in that too. Just sort of getting your fans kind of turned on and um, getting everybody warmed up because I mean, listen, you're playing Xavier third game of the season and you've only got six total games, non-conference games before you hit the North Carolina Rutgers, Nebraska, Arizona, Kansas stretch in late November. Um, You know, you need the engine running hot to start this season. If you're Indiana in in every possible sense. So I get, why not? I guess. Right. No, exactly. And I I think it's good for this, it will be good for this team to connect with its fan base and find out the value that it has. Um, you know, if, if, if this, if it's going to be as exciting in assembly hall as I think it is, um, they're going to figure out how to ride waves. You know, I mean, I, I think you and I have talked about this um, for years, basically just what it's like for at assembly hall when, when Indiana starts to get on a run and it, it, it enlivens that fan base and there is a way that you can sort of ride the wave that comes from that. Uh, and that's how you put teams away. I mean, there, there is, there is a art and a skill just to knowing how to do that. No, know, knowing how to put the, you know, put the pedal down at the right time and, you know, know when you can put a team away. And, and obviously, you know, the teams that are going to be playing starting with Marion, obviously going to be teams that they should be able to just, um, that they should just be able to gas it up and go. And that should be the extent of it. Um, but you know, th- there is, I think a sense of learning how to fully sort of harness the power that comes with playing at assembly hall when, when it's jacked, um, and turning that into, you know, what can be, um, again, when it's on one of the best home court advantages in the country. We got into the, um, just kind of expectations around this team, where they fit in the Big Ten. Um, and I died, and I'm not going to call anybody out by name, but I digested some other sort of Big Ten preseason projection content last week, read some stuff, listened to some podcasts. And this is one of those times where I'm going to sound a little bit like a homer. But the one thing I, I kind of can't get past in my own head as much as anything else and I think we sort of maybe danced around figuring out how to say this when we talked last week. There is this sort of skepticism of Indiana. And, and listen, you and I are skeptical of Indiana. Like there are reasons why you and I are skeptical of Indiana. I'm a, I'm a bit bemused when I talk to other members of the conference media who say they're not buying the IU hype. Like I'm not exact. I mean, a team that's ranked 13th in the country in the preseason, that's not an enormous amount of hype. I get that it's Indiana and they're the Big Ten favorite, but even most Indiana fans, even the optimistic ones I interact with are excited for the season, but they're well aware of Indiana's shortcomings and they're well aware of what might prove to be the pitfalls that sort of box Indiana out of winning the league this season. It feels a little bit like sort of the hype is being created in people's minds, if that makes any sense as much as to some extent it's listen, I can find you people on Twitter who are talking about a final four run. I can do that with anybody. I can do that with any fan base. The general sort of 
tone of the conversation around Indiana to me has not been near the hype of, for example, the 12-13 season, but I would even say the Eric Gordon season or probably even the Romeo Langford season, frankly. I, I would say there was more energy and excitement around both of those seasons in Bloomington than there is for this one, not because people aren't excited for this team, but just because people maybe are a little bit more jaded. And more than that, I think are well aware of the reasons why this team might not live up to its expectations. But having said that, and this is the part where I'm going to sound like a homer and that's fine. I don't care. Um, There does seem to kind of be this, this doubt around Indiana because the presumption is that the best case scenario is unlikely for Indiana. But then there is kind of an assumption of a, of the best case scenario being likely for a lot of the other teams we would consider contenders in the conference. And when you and I went through this last week and we said, Hey, there's maybe there's just a chance the conference isn't that good this year. That would be to Indiana's benefit. It just feels like when people talk about Purdue, Michigan, Michigan state, Illinois, Ohio state, there is a lot of sort of, okay, this is the best case scenario, but, but yeah, we, well, we can, we can map out a, a reasonable path to that. Whereas Indiana's best case scenario is probably more reasonable simply because they have more birds in the hand, if you want to say um, they've got more about them. That's proven and reliable and, and, and sort of tried and tested and less that is about projecting upside but there is more skepticism of Indiana's best case scenario. Does that make sense? I mean, sort of, I, I think like, like, I don't know if it's, I guess this is what I would say. Indiana's probably been overrated a lot in the past. And I think that is, that contributes to this um, of, you know, you mentioned the Romeo Langford season, obviously, you know, they, they, they were, that was an NIT team and that wasn't even, that team wasn't close to making the turn. You know, I, I mean, I guess it was. I mean, I guess maybe they, if they would have won a game at the Big Ten tournament, they might have had a shot. Um, but, you know, they, they, they weren't that close to the bubble. And, you know, they probably played the most effective basketball when their best player was out for the NIT. Um, you know, and, and say, okay, well, that, that team was supposed to be good and it wasn't very good. You know, the 1920 team was supposed to be a little bit better, maybe. Um, and it was just okay. And it would have barely scraped by and made the tournament. Um, and you, you've seen a lot of, a lot of Indiana teams that have gotten some at least top 25 level um, respect by virtue of just having the name Indiana on its jersey. Uh, and, I, and I think a lot of, um, especially if you're covering the Big Ten elsewhere, I think you would view it through that prism of Indiana gets a certain amount of respect by virtue of being Indiana. And um, by virtue of, you know, compared to the rest of the league, it tends to have one or two highly rated recruits, but, you know, it might not have nearly the real depth, but they get, you know, some level of benefit of the doubt by virtue of they're wearing Indiana jerseys. You know, they've got a recruit who's top 30 or something like that. Um, and, and, and there's, you know, like there is deference given there in the same way that people complain about deference for Notre Dame, uh, even when it comes to football, I, I, I think there's certainly the perception of that. Um, that I get. So it's like, okay, you're just applying that here and saying, all right, whatever, whatever level of Indiana's hype, whatever level of hype Indiana is getting has to be too much. Cause it's always too much. You know, it, it it's, there's always the sense that they don't underperform. And I don't know if that's always true, but like, I, I understand how, if you're covering Illinois or if you're covering 
Purdue or whatever, you have that sense that, okay, like Indiana always gets a couple more points just by virtue of the jersey that they wear. Um, so I get that. But I think with, with when you're really just sort of looking at what's there and what's coming back, I mean, you know, like my initial thought, it, basically like the idea of Indiana is the favorite um, really becomes a real thing as soon as Trace Jackson Davis decides that he's coming back. Um, you know, basically that he's, you know, going to no longer test the waters once he got COVID and wasn't going to do the combine. And, you know, I mean, like, like I said, I, I did a story right around that point, kind of looking at it and saying, okay, who ought to be the favorite in the big 10. And as you're looking around, you're like, well, who else can you even justify, you know? And, and, and that's by, by some, some of that is by virtue of default. And so, again, I think we've been saying the whole time that they are kind of big 10 favorites by default, because you're looking at just a, a whole lot of teams that you don't know really anything about. And, and, you know, like ultimately that that's how the nation looks at it. You know, like, I mean, AP top 25, the only other top 25 teams in the league are 22 Michigan and 23 Illinois. Michigan lost a ton and is there by virtue of having Hunter Dickinson back, who is either, you know, the best or second best player in the league with Jackson Davis. Uh, and Illinois on the basis of, well, Terrence Shannon and Matthew Mayer must be pretty good, you know, as transfers. But, you know, you, you've lost basically everybody that's made them a good team in the last couple of years. And, and you're halfway starting over um, with that group. So, like... You know, I, I understand not buying the hype, but, you know, I, I do think, I mean, I guess I think we personally are, are you know, being logical about this and saying, I mean, I, I've never used the, the phrase final four for this team. And I, and I don't think it makes any sense, but I mean, I think it can win the big 10 um, because I think I don't know how good the big 10 is going to be. There's just so much lost talent and, you know, like not only with what's coming back, I mean, they've got more coming back than everybody else, but they also, I, th I think, have the best all around incoming freshman class. So, like, I just don't see how you look at this group on paper and say it's not the Big Ten favorite. Yeah, I mean, I guess, listen, first of all, I'm not saying Indiana can't go to the Final Four. I wouldn't make them a favorite to do it. Obviously, there's plenty of teams that make the Final Four that you wouldn't make favorites when the season began. I think this season, even I think when this the tournament starts. Yeah, I mean, I think this team's got the tools to win its conference and get to the NCAA tournament comfortably. And then, as with just about everybody else, it will come down to matchups and hands and, you know, whether or not you can – somebody hits a couple unlikely shots, whatever it is. That's just part of the, the cost of doing business in the NCAA tournament. Um, and I think you're right to some extent that there is always just a bit of skepticism around – you know, Indiana around UCLA, Notre Dame football is another good example. Texas football is a good example. Um, that, that, that's actually the college football comparison I embrace most when people ask me, like, what's the college football equivalent of Indiana? It's Texas. It's not, it's not Nebraska or Tennessee. It's Texas. I agree hundred um, percent. But again, like, I just don't like, I, I guess I, I, if anything, I have been, a little bit surprised at the extent to which it has felt like the hype has been subdued around here. Um, people are excited. Yes. People are, you know I mean? Like if you, if you need to rob somebody in Bloomington before the end of this year, do it the day of the Kansas game. Cause everyone I know is going to Kansas. Like everyone. I, I, I think seriously close to a dozen different people. Are you going to be in Lawrence? Cause I'm going to be in Lawrence. We're going to Lawrence. Who's we just, we, the family, the friends, whatever we're going to Lawrence. Um, I think people are excited and listen, maybe there's a bit of a tone change from IU's fan base that there is an extent to which um, 
you know, we've moved into a phase where IU fans are just more skeptical and more cynical because there have been too many false starts. There have been too many false dawns, too many years where they got excited about the number, you know, two overall player in the country and then it melted down and the coach got fired. That That's distinctly possible as well. Um, but I just, it, it's weird. Indiana is being regarded with a level of skepticism outside the IU bubble that seems to be based around a level of sort of blind optimism within the IU bubble that I don't think exists. And that is, is where um, it's kind of hard for me to, to square the circle just insofar as, you know, this, this team is still pretty good. This team is, you know, they're not just Big Ten favorites by default. They've got pre, they got a preseason All American on their roster. Um, they've got guys that finished last season playing as well as anybody in the conference at their positions. They've got the two highest rated recruits um, per the twenty four seven Sports composite. To the, the 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 conference welcomed in this season. They returned a bunch of kids that, that in various different ways, showed, I think, some real promise last year. And that's where I come back to kind of this. There's this skepticism of, well, can they do it when others can't, et cetera. Um, there's sort of like, for example, an assumption that Purdue will be okay and Illinois will be okay. And that Indiana sort of has to prove that it's going to be okay. When, if the shoes were on the other, if the shoes on the other foot, I think we'd look at Illinois and say, yeah, Illinois will be fine. And I think it does come down a little bit too. And this is where I recognize I sound like I'm trapped in the IU bubble. Um, a little bit to just sort of the, the, the skepticism of the brand rather than the team. Yeah, no, that's, that's certainly true. But the brand has kind of earned it over the last however many years. I mean, I, again, I, I get, and, you know, like there's, there's a whole lot that feeds into that you know, the brand and everything like that. And, and, and some of it's us, you know, some of it's us, but also some of it is just the size of the IU media as a whole, you know, that, that um, more than basically that the, there is, there are just, there's more focus and energy on covering Indiana basketball and talking about it. Um, and so in a way you can sort of, when, when we spend all these time talking about who's going to play, who's not going to play, you know, who's going to get better, who's not going to get better. Like there's just more overall volume of coverage out there. And ultimately, I guess in a way we probably end up like, even if we're not necessarily trying to do it ostensibly sound like we're trying to talk everybody into Indiana, you know, talk fans into. That's fair. I mean, you know, a lot of what I write has the words big 10 favorite in it somewhere. That's fair. Right. But I think, I mean, just even on an annual basis, it's just like, okay, like we spend a, like we spend a lot of time talking about this team because people read about it. And so it's like, if you are, uh, you know, looking at, again, looking at this group, looking at Indiana from the outside as a brand, you're saying, okay, like every year, you know, like all these beat writers have to write something. So, so, you know, they, they write about how this might be better and how that might be better. And how many times does it actually end up better? You know, you know, so why are they going to be right? this time. And it's not like we always put our like reputation on those, but it's like, could this be improvement? Could this group work well together? You know, they're working on this, they're working on that. And, and it's, you know, like, so it's like, okay, this time when they're like, yeah, no, I think really that we're right this time. I think really this group is going to be the most talented they put out. They're like, okay, well, you said that last year, you said that the year before you said that the year before that, maybe we said that maybe we didn't, but you know, I, I see how there's this notion of because there is just, 
you know, an inordinate amount of, uh, you know, sort of media focus on Indiana basketball. Like if you're looking at it from outside, you know, and particularly in college programs that have a more balanced football to basketball kind of, you know, coverage ratio, uh, I could see how they, there is that outside sense of this, but, but to, to your point, I do think that like that there is a warranted internal skepticism among IU fans about this because they've been beat up enough as well. And, you know, they're not getting all the way on the high train. And also, you know, I think they are annoyed at Indiana football as well. And so like they, they are not as hyped up as they have been uh, even for previous seasons, not that, you know, Indiana usually gives them reason not to be, but still there's, yeah, I, I don't think that IU fans are sort of head over heels for this group yet. And I do think they are not throwing around the idea of Final Four, but I, I you know, I don't know. I think they want I to be. be I think they want to be head over heels. Like, I, and, and I don't blame them. And they may well be. Like, I mean, it, it it's not hard for me to talk myself into this team winning the Big Ten. Am I convinced they will? No, I didn't pick them to. But I look up and down the league, and it's a mess. Like it's a mess everywhere. Um, you know, I, I it really is. Yeah, I got. I had breakfast this morning with uh, Matt Dollinger. I hope Dollinger's listening. Hey, Dollinger. And um, we were talking about the Big Ten, and you know, Dollinger is for those who don't know. Matt went to IU. He now uh, is a senior editor with the Ringer, covering the NBA. So he's familiar with basketball and as a, as an IU alum, he's familiar with Indiana, but he doesn't live and diet. You know, he's not, he's not, he's not pouring over Ken Palm numbers every day. I don't think. And we were talking about the league and I was like, just name a team and I'll tell you how mess, you know, how messy their situation is. And every time he named one, it was just like, there's no, you know, what's Illinois going to do about not having Kofi Coburn? Illinois has, or Purdue has no guards. Michigan State has no forwards. Like we've talked about this. It's not, hard to envision a world where Indiana wins at least a share of the conference. That's not, that's not outrageous. Um, yeah. Indiana can win a share of the conference to be a four seed in the NCAA. I mean, they, they won the, I mean, that would be better than what they did in 2016. Right. Exactly. They won the right. conference in 2016 by two games outright and they were five seed, but that's a real possibility for, you know, it, yeah. I mean, it, and that happens sometimes and that doesn't, you know, invalidate the, the, the accomplishment either. You got to win the thing to win the thing. I just, I think this, I think that these fans could wind up loving this team, but I do think there is more skepticism closer to this program or closer to this team this season than what is maybe perceived outside Bloomington. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I'd agree. I mean, I think, um, you know, on both sides, I think it just comes from the unproven shooting. I, I think, I think that's really, really it. And that, um, you know, people that have been watching it from outside have been saying that for years, for years, and the fans inside the bubble have been saying that for years. So I think that's that's where most of the skepticism ultimately comes from. And, and until Indiana proves that, he, that he can shoot the basketball at any reasonable clip, there's going to be, um, you know, there's going to be skepticism about this team. And, and, and for that matter, for that reason, I think there will be skepticism throughout non-conference play, regardless of, you know, unless – they take at least two out of three from Carolina, Kansas, and Arizona. We'll leave it there for this week. Uh, we may come back at the end of the week and, and just do at least like a little bit of a primer on the Marion game. Doubt we would go, uh, I don't know, maybe more than 25 minutes, but just to, just to get you warmed up for it. 
We'll certainly be back after the Marion game, maybe even immediately after. We'll see how the, the how, how the mood suits us on Saturday night. But between now and when next we speak, he's Dustin DePerrick. I'm Zach Osterman for the Blue and General Times, the Indianapolis Star. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Mind Your Banners. We'll talk to you soon.